God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And we realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and the promises He has for you in your life. Would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25? That's where we're going to be today, continuing our journey through the book of Genesis. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video, just to make it easier for you to follow along. Now today I'd like to talk to you about the two natures. You know, each day we live, each day we wake up, we have that coffee in the morning, and we start out on our life, we face a choice that we must make. The first time of each day we make that choice and many times through the day we make that same choice. And the choice is we can live like the rest of the world, thinking only about the temporary things in life. We can live like the rest of the world, thinking only about making a living, earning some money, making food, buying stuff for ourselves, or we can think about true riches, the things of the kingdom of God. Now, God's promise is that if we think on His things and seek first His righteousness, all these other things are going to be added to you. So when you make that choice, you need to consider, are you making your choice just for the things of that moment? The things that look good to your eyes, the things that you lust after, the things that you want. Are you making your choice for selfish things the way that the world thinks? Are you making your choice to live for the kingdom of God and choosing the things that pertain to everlasting life? That's what our chapter is about today. And we're going to be looking at chapter 25 of the book of Genesis. So let's open it up now and look at verse 1. It says in Genesis 25, verse 1, it says, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Yokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuach. And Joksan begot Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letzushim, and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Epfar, Epfer, Hanoch, Abidah, and Eldah. All of these were the children of Keturah, the wife that Abraham took in the first part of Genesis 25. But then it says in verse 5, And Abram, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, Yitzchak, his miracle child that God had given him. Verse 6 continues, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them to the east, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Let's talk about these verses that we just read. God had already showed Abraham that his promises would be through the miracle child, Yitzchak, Isaac. Remember, his name meant laughter because Abraham and Sarah both had just kind of laughed when God told them that he was going to provide them a child because Abraham was how old? 
a hundred years of age when Isaac was born. And Sarah was how old? 90 years of age. Wow, way beyond the ages of childbearing. And yet God had miraculously brought Isaac into the world, just like he had promised. And Isaac's birth was not the result of man's efforts. It wasn't the result of man's efforts at all. Abraham couldn't have children like that. Sarah couldn't have children like that. But God did this great miracle. Sarah had never had any children before, you see. She had never had any children, and at 90 years of age, here's the first child that she had, Isaac, Isaac, as we say. God miraculously brought Isaac into the world, and Isaac's birth wasn't the result of man. It was by a miracle of God that he was born. Now, God was going to fulfill his miraculous prophecies that he had promised Abraham through his son Isaac, through the miracle child. It's only fitting because many of the prophecies that God gives us, we don't understand how he could do those things. They seem so incredible. I mean, the way that he describes the detail on them the things that he says that he's going to do. And we look around at the situation in front of us today and we go, well, I don't know how he's going to do that. He's saying he's going to defeat this army and we won't even have to fire a shot. But yet this army has already conquered all of these other nations and they're right outside the gates of Jerusalem and, and God's going to turn them back the other way without us even having to fire an arrow. And we look at these situations and we go, the prophecies of God are just amazing. And these are the kind of prophecies that God had, had promised Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, your seed, your descendants are going to be more in number than the sand on the sea, more in number than the stars in the sky, the stars in the night sky. Millions and millions. Your descendants are going to be more in number than that. But at that point, Abraham didn't even have one son. And yet at 100 years of age, here he comes, the miracle of God. God's right on time, bringing along Isaac, laughing, laughing at the things that are against him. And God says, my way will succeed. My way will gain the victory. Every word that I say is going to come to pass. That's God for you. You don't have to worry about the promises of God. He's faithful and he's going to do whatever he says for you in, his, in your life. He said that he's going to be with you forever, never leave you nor forsake you. You can take that to the bank, as we say in English. In other words, that's sure. That's certain. God will bring it to pass. God is faithful. If there's three words I could put on my tombstone after I pass from this earth and go up to be with the Lord, it wants to be God is faithful. That's what I want on that tombstone because that's the story of my life. As I look back at all of those amazing things He's done, things that I gave up on because I couldn't see how they could possibly have an answer to the trials and the problems that I were going through, and I brought them to the Lord, and guess what? God fixed them, and God is faithful. He's been faithful for me. He was faithful for Abraham. He's going to be faithful for Isaac, and he will be faithful for you too. Example, Isaac's seed or descendant. 
God would bless all the nations of the earth. As he had promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, he says, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And I will curse those that curse you and bless those that bless you. And he says, all of those nations of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Well, now Abraham is going to be passing away here in this chapter. And we're going to see Isaac is going to inherit not only the wealth and the physical riches of Abraham, but also the promises of God that God gave to Abraham. Those are now going to be belonging to Isaac and his seed or descendants. It would be through Isaac's seed that God would send his only begotten son, Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah, who would save mankind from their sins and the certain death that sin always brings. God would save all who believe on his son, the Messiah, and he would restore them to everlasting life and give them that everlasting life that sin had taken away from them. And he would do this through the atoning blood of his Mashiach, Messiah, Yeshua. And he would take away the sins of all who simply believe on him. So Abraham is now sending his other sons away so that God can do the miraculous work that he's promised through Isaac or Isaac. Abraham still gives his other sons gifts. He takes care of them financially, but he is investing in the one son that God gave the promises to and said these promises would be through, and that is Isaac or Isaac. So let's read on now, starting at verse 7. It says, this is the sum or the total number of years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last breath and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. He went with his fathers where they had, you see, and he was gathered to his people. Then verse 9 says, And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Remember that? It was the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the, the son of Zoar the Hittite, that he had bought from Ephron, the son of Zoar the Hittite. He had bought it, and he had buried his wife Sarah there when she passed away. And now he's being buried there by Isaac and Ishmael. And their brothers, remember, Ishmael is the son that Abraham was the father of through Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant that Sarah had. And then Isaac, of course, the son through Sarah herself, the one that God brought the miracle child, Isaac, into the world through that 90-year-old mother. Total miracle. And so it says in verse 10, this is the field that Abraham purchased from the sons of Het. And remember in Hebrew, when you see a TH, you don't pronounce that as Heth, as you would see in your English Bible, H-E-T-H, -H, because in Hebrew you don't have that TH sound. That's just there to accommodate English speakers. But you would say that in Hebrew as Het. And then Abraham, it says, was buried in Sarah, his wife, at that same place. And it came to pass, it says in verse 11, after the, after the death of Abraham, that God started blessing. He blessed his son, Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Be'er Lahai Roi. Now, 
We'll talk about that name in just a little bit, but do you realize that it's now been 14 chapters in the book of Genesis that have been about the life of Abraham? It was about how God called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. It was about the promises that God gave him for the land. These chapters, these last 14 chapters, have described Abraham as a man of faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply a man who believed God. God said something, and Abraham believed it. And that's why believing on the Son of God gains us salvation, because God testified in the prophets of old, in the Tanakh, the Torah, about His Son, Yeshua, that He would come. And then when he was here, he testified uh, about his son by doing these mighty miracles that no one had ever seen before to where multitudes and multitudes, great multitudes of people in Israel were coming out and being healed by Jesus outside the cities, in the cities. And he was doing amazing things. People born blind were being healed and could now see. People who couldn't speak or couldn't hear, He would touch them and they would be healed. And God was doing these mighty miracles. What was God doing? He was testifying of that man, Yeshua. He was saying, this is my son. This is the Messiah you've been waiting for. And I'm doing these miracles so that you'll know that He's my Messiah that I'm sending to you. Believe on Him and you will be saved. It all comes down to believing God for not only the answers to the prayers that you pray about, about the trials and things that you're going through today, but it all comes down to believing God's testimony about His Messiah, Yeshua, for salvation so that you don't have to worry about having everlasting life. God will give you the everlasting life that you were designed for. The everlasting life that sin took away, God will give it to you when you believe on His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Believing God is what pleases God. That's why He said about Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him as righteousness. Let me say that again. Genesis 15, 6, And Abraham believed God, and that was accounted to him as righteousness. It didn't say that he was righteous because he did this. It said he was accounted as righteous. In other words, the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God was on the doorpost of his house, and when God saw the blood of his Son, the Messiah, he would pass over that person in judgment. Believe the testimony of God concerning Yeshua HaMashiach, and you will be forgiven all your sins, and you will be saved, and you will be welcomed into the holy and righteous place called the kingdom of heaven, because no sin can come in there. So even if you try your best and you live a life that you don't sin maybe 40% of the time, even though most of us would probably not even get above 5% of the time, because God even counts the thoughts that you have, even those bad thoughts, things that you say, things that you do when no one else is looking, you see. But even if you were to do half of your life living righteousness, if you had sin at all, you couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven. Only by believing on Jesus as the Messiah are all of your sins taken away. And then 
And only then can you get into the holy and righteous kingdom of heaven. Because God's kingdom of heaven is where His throne is. And He cannot look on sin. He will have to judge sin. And the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. God doesn't want to kill you. He created you for everlasting life, to be His child, to live with Him forever. So simply believe God. Believe in the one whom God sent to take away your sins. In believing God, your sins will be forgiven and you will be counted as righteous. Not by works that you've done, but by simply believing in the work that God has already done when He sent His only Son to be the sacrifice for your sins on the cross. Now look at that Hebrew word that we see there in the last part of these verses that we read. It's Be'er Lahai Roi. Be'er is well. Be'er is well. Be'er Sheva. Well, okay. Lahai of life. Well of the living one. Of the one who lives. Chai is life. Chaim is life's. Chaim Nitzchim is everlasting lives. Chai is life. Ani chai, I live. Be'er lachai, well of the living one, ro'i, who sees me. The verb for see in Hebrew is ro'e, or a girl would say ro'a. Ani ro'e is what a guy would say. Ani ro'a is what a girl would say. Lirot, to see, the same form of the same verb, you see. Only to see, lirot. I think that I can see him, you see. Ro'i is the living one who sees me. Remember, I've told you before that in Hebrew, when you add that I sound that sounds like E on the end, it means me or I. So, sheli means shell is possessive, says mine. But I, I'm saying this belongs to me if I add that I on then. Shelly, Shelly. If I were to add an O on to the end, I'd be saying Shelo, which means it belongs to him. Shela, it belongs to her. But Shelly, when you hear that E sound on the end, it belongs to me. Well, this is the one, instead of Roe, Roa, it's Roe. This is the one who sees me. Roe, you see, that I on the end. Be'er lachai roi, well of the living one who sees me. And that's what they had called it, because God had answered their prayers there. Now we look past these verses that we just read, and we're finishing now looking at the life of Abraham. We quickly see the life of Isaac come on the scenes. Fourteen chapters studying the life of Abraham, and now a chapter has passed, and already we're getting the way through most of the life of Isaac, and it's leading right to his son, Yaakov. But first God wants us to know that he kept his promises about Abram's, Abraham's other son, Ishmael. You say, well, Pastor Stephen, what promises are you talking about? I mean, all the promises were about Isaac, about Abraham and Jacob. What promises did God give to Ishmael? Well, I'm glad you asked. And we're going to be looking at that 
as soon as we read these verses about what God did, and we'll talk about why these verses are the very fulfillment of promises spoken of about Ishmael as well. So verse 12, we continue. It says, Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. Verse 13, now listen carefully. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael. The sons of Ishmael. Well, you say, well, the promises aren't going to be through Ishmael. That's right, but God promised something that He's going to show you right in these verses that He fulfilled right here. It says, these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebuyot, Nebayot, and then Kedar, then Adbil, then Mibsam, and verse 14, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, and Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedima. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names. By their towns and by their settlements. Twelve princes. Look at that word. Twelve princes. That phrase, twelve princes, is going to be part of the prophecy that God's fulfilling here. According to their nation. Twelve princes according to their nation. It finishes up in verse 16. Then verse 17 says, And these were the years of the life of Ishmael. 137 years, and he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, it says in verse 18, which is east of Mitzrayim, or Egypt, as we say in English, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brothers. Now, Ishmael's descendants are given for one reason at least, and that's to show God's faithfulness to fulfill the promise that He had given to Hagar the Egyptian that had Abraham's baby in Genesis 17:20. God came to Abraham and He was telling him about this child that He was going to give him, but Abraham was feeling pretty old at that time, and Sarah was pretty old, and God said, I'm going to be giving you a son and blessing him, and he's going to have all of these things. He'll become great and all of this and everything. And then Abraham said something interesting. He said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He was really trying to give God an easy way out. God, I'm 100 years old now. I'm, my wife is 90 years old now. God, what are you going to... What are you going to do? You know, I, you can't give me a child anymore. I'm too old for it. Sarah's too old for it, God. Hey, I, I got an idea. Why don't you just give all those promises to Ishmael? He's already my son. He's already here. But you see, Ishmael wasn't a miracle. That was something that man did that happens normally when you have those relations, sexual relations, and you have those children back when Abraham was able to do that. Sarah wasn't able to have children, so Sarah suggested that they use her maidservant, Hagar, to have a son, and then uh, uh, Sarah would adopt, more or less, that son, and that would be her child, and that way she would have at least a child, because she couldn't have children before that. And so Abraham, when the Lord is promising these good things that he's going to do, Abraham says, yes, Lord, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God told Abraham, I'm not talking about Ishmael. 
<laughs> God told Abraham, And as for Ishmael, I heard you. Behold, I blessed him too, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly, and he'll beget twelve princes. Hmm. Twelve princes. Didn't we just now read that phrase somewhere? He's telling about how he did beget twelve princes, twelve sons. And God says, and I will make him a great nation too, you see. And now we're finishing looking at Ishmael. But before we finished looking at Ishmael and begin to look at Isaac's family now, God wanted to tell us, I didn't forget Ishmael. I promised Hagar, his mother, that I would take care of him. I promised Ishmael that he would have these 12 princes. And I want you to look now. I want you to count his sons. And if you go back to the names of those sons that we just read, the princes from Ishmael, you'll find out that they are 12 names there. And just like God said in Genesis 17, verse 20, He, he said, I, He will begat 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. And now we see that in fact he does have 12 sons and they're each going to be princes over their own clans and nations. So now we're finished looking at the life of Ishmael. Abraham has now passed from the scene and is buried with his wife Sarah. And now the focus is going to be on Isaac, Isaac, and his family already. In this chapter, not only Isaac, but even his sons as well. Specifically, one son named Yaakov, which you would read in English as Jacob. And as we read, continuing on now in verse 19, it says, and this is the genealogy of Yitzchak, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Yitzchak. Yitzchak was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, and the daughter of Betuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, and the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, Rebekah, that is, because she was barren. In other words, she couldn't have children. They tried over and over again, but she just wasn't able to have children, it seemed. And it says, then the Lord granted Isaac's plea, his request, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. She was pregnant then. Verse 22 goes on, but the children struggled together inside of her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, something that we all should do when we have questions. Go to the Lord who freely gives wisdom and does not withhold it, but freely gives his wisdom to all who ask. And the Lord said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from, from your body. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older is going to serve the younger. And so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were two twins in her womb. Verse 25 then continues, And the first came out, he was red. He was like, it was like a hairy garment all over him. So they called his name Esau, which means hairy. No, not hairy the name. Hairy like a lot of hair all over his body. In verse 26, and afterward his brother came out, and his brother's hand took hold of Esau's heel. And so his name was called Yaakov, which means heel catcher or supplanter, if you will. 
He's the one that says, wait a minute, you know, me first. <laughs> so even at birth, they were wrestling around there. And they were wrestling around apparently in the womb because before they were born, Rebecca asked the Lord, and why? Why are these kids wrestling around inside? What's going on there? You know, it's, it's, this is not normal. And God says, two nations and already they're at war with one another. They're wrestling with each other, seeing who who can be first and all like that. So it says that Isaac at that time was 20 years old when she bore those children. So the boys grew, it says in verse 27, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild, mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of the game that Esau would hunt for, you see. He would bring him back that beef stew. He would make this roast beef and all these things because Esau was a good hunter. But it says, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Then it continues on in verse 29. It says, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field, and he was tired, he was weary, he had been out there hunting. And Esau said to Jacob, please give me some of that red stew that you're making there. I'm so tired, I'm weary, he says. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. He's saying, I'm so hungry. So what is this birthright to me? What good is a birthright if, it, you know, if I don't have stuff to eat today? Verse 33, then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. That was that red stew. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way then the Bible says, sadly, in verse 34, thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, these two brothers show two natures, really, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And each of these two natures we have in our own lives as well. But let's go back to the story that we just read. Esau came in from the field. He was tired. He had been hunting. It might have been hot that day. He was traveling. He was running after prey, trying to get in a good shot with his bow and arrow and everything. And those creatures didn't want to be killed by him. And so they were trying their best and they were much faster than him. But he was a good hunter. He was patient and he would wait for them. Finally, he would bring something home maybe, but many times... He would come home and have nothing to show for his efforts. This was one of those days, it seems. He came in and Jacob was fixing this red stew, it says. Then it said something interesting, didn't it? It said, therefore, his name is called Edom. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Stephen? Why, why is red stew and Edom connected? I mean, Edom is a name and red stew is just red stew. Well, you have to understand that in Hebrew, the word for red is Adom, Adom. So you could call it Edom. So Edom, if you will, is what they called him after he sold his birthright for just a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew, a bowl of red stew. And people around that place that lived there with Abraham and his community, they started calling him red. In other words, Edom. 
Edom. How was that stew that you ate? They knew that he sold his birthright. What's a birthright? The firstborn, and Edom was the first, or Esau was the firstborn. The firstborn gets twice as much inheritance as other children, as other sons, you see. And he was technically the first one, even though Jacob reached up and was pulling on his heel. Jacob wanted to be first, but Esau got out first, so he was the firstborn. But he didn't care too much about that birthright because that was going to be way, way in the future. Esau wanted something now. He wanted something now. He was hungry. His flesh was hungry. He wanted stuff that would look good to him now. He wanted stuff that would taste good for him now. His eyes would see something. He wanted it. He wanted it now. And that's the way we are, right? When you go to Amazon, you order all those things, and you go, and I want it tomorrow. I don't want it two weeks from now. I want it tomorrow. And you choose that. We want everything, and we want it now. That's our fleshly nature, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, you see. That's the nature of sin. That's the nature of a person who is looking at his life as if he's some animal. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to go? What can I have that put on that I like to wear that'll keep me warm at night? All these things about the flesh. But Yaakov, even with all of his problems, Yaakov was apparently the guy who was looking at the future. Why would he have need of the birthright? Apparently, he had thought this through, and he was going to say to Esau, you can have some stew if you sell me your birthright. Well, okay, but that would be years and years and years away, Yaakov. Why do you want the birthright? Because he would get twice as much, and yes, it was years and years and years away, but Yaakov considered it to be an investment. Now, sadly, Yaakov was also in the flesh because he was thinking selfishly, but... He was thinking toward the future. He was planning ahead. And we'll get into that in a little bit as well. But planning ahead, well, that's what you do when you give your life to the Lord and you want Him to give you everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven. You might not see that for another 10, 20, 40, 50 years. You don't know when your day, your last day on earth will come. You won't, you won't know that, but you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven when you give these things to the Lord, you see. You're looking ahead. You're planning ahead. But so many people in the world today are only concerned about today, about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how good they look about what other people have and how they want stuff that looks like that too. They're concerned about fleshly things. They're trying to live like animals, not like men created in the image of God. They're trying to live like animals. Well, you don't want that to happen. You want God to be able to give you everlasting things in life. And so Esau was concerned about his flesh, but Jacob, even though he was a deceiver, and even though he would lie later, at least now he was looking toward the future. And he made this business deal. Now, he took advantage of his brother's hunger. What would God have done? He would have given his brother something. He would have given Esau something to eat. 
do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But here's Jacob trying to get something of value from this little situation. And he's trying to sell this stuff to Esau, and it worked. Esau gave him his birthright. So we're going to see Jacob's heart change. At first, he's deceptive, only in it for what he could get out of it. But later, after God humbled him, God is going to change his name to Israel. And that means governed by God or prince of God. Whereas Jacob was a deceiver, a supplanter, heel catcher. Now God is going to change him later to govern by God. He used to govern himself by the flesh, but now God's going to govern him by the Holy Spirit. He used to be a prince of the flesh and just living like an animal, but now God's going to make him a prince of God. Therefore, he's going to rename him later to Israel, which means governed by God or prince of God. Now, in the same way, each of us have a fleshly side or a carnal side of our nature. That carnal side is only concerned about what we can get and what's happening in this life here and now. And this selfish fleshly side of our nature comes first, remember? We're fleshly creatures first. Until we learn about the goodness of God, then we can be born again, this time born into the Spirit, and we become spiritual creatures, thinking about eternal things. So now we have a fleshly side first, and then we can have a spiritual side of our nature, the two natures. And when we give our hearts to the Lord, He'll change our hearts to think about lasting, everlasting, eternal things and to not follow our own carnal lusts like some simple creature or animal. Which nature will you live? The life given to the flesh or the life given to God? Choose everlasting life by believing on the salvation that God is offering you. Amen. Now, why don't you give your life to God today? Why don't you give it to Him right now? If you call out to God, He will hear you cry. You know that. He'll hear it. No matter where you are, no matter how low you speak, no matter how much you cry out, He will hear you. He's near to you if you seek after Him. And you will seek Him and you will find Him, He says, when you seek Him with all of your heart. If you call out to Him, He hears you, and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from that darkness you're in, that trial, that situation you're facing. He'll rescue you from all of that, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given a new life. A new life. Think about that. A new chance. A new life. He's going to change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures and things you're ashamed of. Throw that all away, and you'll be made completely new given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. You know, today we want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive this peace that we're talking about, the peace of God in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I do believe on your son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive me all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 
I'll tell you something. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. Oh, He heard you. And He's already started working in your life. Did you know that? A little seed has already been planted deep down in your heart, just like seeds are. You don't see anything at first, but it's growing underneath that ground. And soon it'll break through that ground and you'll start to see what's going on, what's happening there. That seed over time will be, have wonderful changes and show you the changes that God's making in your life, in your heart. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.